Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. A video of former Trump lawyer Jenna Ellis's proffer session with Georgia prosecutors was leaked to the press, revealing potentially damaging evidence for the Trump team, but it may not be admissible in court. Meanwhile, special counsel Jack Smith is opposing a request by media organizations to televise Donald Trump's forthcoming election interference criminal trial. Finally, for the first time ever, the Supreme Court adopted a new ethics code, but it doesn't appear to be binding on the justices. Preet and I discuss all that and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing an excerpt from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership for just $1 for one month. You can do that at cafe.com insider. That's cafe.com insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So we mentioned the Supreme Court in passing already in this conversation, and there was breaking news out of the Supreme Court on Monday evening, not a new decision in a case, not even the leak of a decision in a case like we had with Dobbs a while back, but the announcement that they have adopted a code of conduct. Listeners will recall that you and I have had many discussions about what people view as the ethical lapses and reporting lapses of Clarence Thomas and others taking gifts, taking expensive trips, not disclosing financial entanglements and the like, and we've always said, well, it's kind of crazy that the Supreme Court, the highest court in the land, doesn't have a formal set of rules that are enforceable. And there was a lot of pressure on the court to adopt a code of conduct. And it's about 14 pages. And the reactions are, or your reaction, Joyce, is what? You know, I think I'm an outlier here. I heard a lot of people yesterday saying it was important that the court responded to all of the criticism, blah, blah, blah. That is not my take. This code of conduct is not binding on the justices. They start out at the very beginning by saying justices should be guided by these longstanding principles. And my reaction is, well, if these principles have been, you know, here for the justices for a long time. They seem to have failed miserably in Clarence Thomas's case, right? There's no enforcement mechanism. This feels very illusory to me, almost as though it's an effort to put an end to the criticism, a way for folks up on Capitol Hill to argue that Democratic proposals to have better oversight of the court are unnecessary. I just think it's a paper tiger. It's so interesting. Other people have pointed out, and we've talked about this on the show, right? When you have a statute or a rule or a regulation, and the word must or shall is in the statute. Shall is a very strong word, right? There's no wiggle room from shall. In this set of rules constituting the code of conduct, the word shall doesn't seem to make an appearance. It's the word should, right? Mm -hmm. A justice should respect and comply with the law. A justice should not allow family, social, political, financial. A justice should not hold membership in any organization that practices invidious discrimination. A justice should not be swayed by partisan interests. What do you, what do you make of the the weak should instead of the strong shall. I mean, I think this is what it took for the chief justice to get nine signatures at the bottom of, of this document. You know, there's nothing that looks backwards here. There's absolutely no consequence for anything that's happened. It is a very forgiving document. And, and not to, you know, jump on a soapbox about this, but I will anyhow. 
These are the folks who make decisions for all of the rest of us. They decide who goes to prison. They decide who has to pay large sums of money to other folks. They hold people accountable, but they cannot hold themselves accountable. I think it's damaging to the institution. And although I I have always thought it would be difficult, frankly, for Congress to impose some sort of an oversight mechanism, I think this court doesn't leave Congress any choice. It's super interesting. There's a... um sort of a preamble to the code. And it says, you know, the undersigned justices are promulgating this code of conduct to set out succinctly, blah, 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 blah. For the most part, these rules and principles are not new. The court has long had the equivalent of common law ethics rules, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Basically saying, we were good before this, but we're issuing these rules now as follows. Quote, the absence of a code, however, has led in recent years to the misunderstanding Joyce, the misunderstanding that the justices of this court, unlike all other jurists in this country, regard themselves as unrestricted by any ethics rules. So to dispel this misunderstanding, we are issuing this code, which largely represents a codification of principles that we have long regarded as governing our conduct, end quote. You really think there's a misunderstanding on the part of the public? You know, I feel so bad that I could have misconstrued what was going on with Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito so badly. How did I not see that they were following ethics rules when they ruled in favor of people who were providing them with great financial advantage? I, I feel so foolish. Look, this is this is crazy talk from the court that they would expect people to buy into this. I heard Sheldon Whitehouse yesterday say something that I thought was just perfect. He said, while they've said, OK, Uh, We're going to adhere to the rules of baseball. What they have not said is, and we're going to allow umpiring. In other words, they want to decide if the runner takes the base. They want to decide if the runner is out for themselves. And it's just crazy that they would pretend that we misunderstood the reporting from ProPublica and others. Yeah, it's not the absence of the code, although obviously that's a proxy for what was really going on. It's the presence and the existence of the conduct. One interesting part of this code comes at the very end. They say, well, the court will, in sort of an ongoing iterative fashion, look at practices in other courts and see what seems to work in those other courts. And on the one hand, that feels a little bit mealy mouth. They've had plenty of time to do that before they issued this document. Maybe if there's any good news here, it's that they're open to a continuing sort of a process. But again, that only looks forward. And I am I am really disturbed by the notion that what happened in the past seems to get a pass here. There's another irony here, I think. I feel like there are a lot of ironies going on in the world generally and specifically in the things that we cover. The criticism has been made about our Supreme Court, that it has become overly political, it's become too politicized, that it's taking power away from the legislature, it's arrogating to itself positions and powers and responsibilities that are best left to the political branches. Um, it's, it's, it's choosing itself to determine outcomes that the legislative process was designed to figure out the selection process for justices has been politicized for a long time. Politics, politics, politics. One thing that politicians do, and I've, I've observed this, is when there's criticism of a policy, whether it's you know a member of Congress or a mayor or a governor or even a president, and everyone does this to some extent, they feel the need to act and to do something because the pressure becomes too strong to just ignore. So this is a sign that that pressure became very strong. And then some announcement, some act 
some piece of legislation, whether it's effective or not, they do so they can say that they've done something. This is a feature of politics, not just in this country and not just in the modern era, but going back to the beginning of time, you must act. Mm -hmm. Much of the time, politicians take actions that they issue a press release about, but it doesn't do a damn hell of a lot. This is like that. And in this manner, I think the Supreme Court once again shows itself to be more political than otherwise. You know what I'm reminded of is during the Dobbs oral argument where Justice Sotomayor asked, will this institution survive the stench? You know, talking about this notion that they were results-oriented. And so right at this point in time where they're making a lot of very difficult decisions, decisions that are controversial, a point in time where they really need their integrity to be unquestionable so that the public will accept those decisions. But they're mired in this political dispute. And, and so I think in, in some sense, maybe it's a positive that they're responsive to the pressure that they felt like they had to do something. The question is whether or not the public will accept this as a sufficient enough step or whether it will just serve. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership for just $1 for one month. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work.